Hello, friends. Jim Nance. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> got a chance. Yes. He's done it! Whoa! In your life! I don't know how you get much better than this. Heartbeat just went up 50 notches there, I think. Struck it nicely. Jacket is going north of the border. Celebration now. They've saved it for the perfect stage. Wow, that was loud. Still is. Welcome inside episode four of the Pelt Pod. Once again, a Canadian is in the winner's circle as Mike Weir wins his first Champions Tour event. We deal with the effects of a cyber attack, highlight a journeyman's moment in the sun, review insider picks, talk Wells Fargo Championship, and highlight one Canadian's fascinating journey through the world of golf. It's episode four of the Pelt Pod, and it starts right now. Welcome back. Week four of the Pelt Pod. Jamie Wilson, Jacob Bishop, Ben Whiteside. We are back and excited, although we've run into our first roadblock this week, Jacob. Just amidst our social media getting rolled out, starting to get some positive feedback, Instagram has been disabled. We don't know if this is an, as a personal attack on the Pelt Pod or if Jamie has been violating the dark web, and we won't even go down that rabbit hole. But regardless, we've had a hiccup on the social media front. We're buzzing. You you know, Instagram was buzzing. All four lines were going and uh, we have a minor hurdle, but show business. And those hurdles, it's not how you get beat down to the ground. It's how you get back up. And we're doing great here. For those that did reach out to us over our Instagram account, over personal texts, uh, thank you for the kind words. Uh, we appreciate that. Uh, yeah, like what we're doing here at the Pelt Pod. Um, but we're going to continue to produce some good episodes coming through. So despite a little hiccup on the social, we will be back on Instagram. Jamie, you will keep us updated. Hopefully we'll have a positive report next week. So a little bit of social bump, but we are dealing with it. And other news, there is a Canadian still in the headlines. Last weekend was Brooke Henderson. Just moments ago, Jamie, we found it. Uh, it was set in stone. Mike Weir has another professional win. He shoots 10 under par to seal his first Champions Tour victory at the Woodlands Country Club. Jamie, exciting day. What happened? It was awesome. Yeah, I caught the back nine here on uh, Sunday. Uh, Mike's been playing really well, so it's it's not a huge surprise for me anyway that he got this done, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him win again shortly on the PGA Tour Champions. I'm happy, ecstatic to see Mike back in, uh, in the winner's circle. We all saw Mike win that green jacket in 2003, so we're all big fans of Mike. I'm just great to see him get back in the winner's circle. I know he had, he's had some struggles over the years. He's been playing great as of late. So to see that, uh, for him to be able to pull through and, uh, and get into the winner's circle, it's it's great to see here for Canada. And I don't know if there's a correlation here uh, between the Pelt Pod and Canadian winners, but on Spit and Chicklets, they have the Chicklets bump. And here on the Pelt Pod, it's clear we do have the Pelt Pump. So two <laughs> weeks in a row, two Canadian winners, I wonder looking for another one. I wonder who's got a Canadian pick this week for the for uh, for next week for Quail Hollow. We are still in lockdown, boys. This will be going on our third episode, I believe, where we're given a bit of a lockdown update. It's not getting better per se. Any updates coming into this week's show? Not a ton of news. Last week, we talked about the bridges at Tilsonburg disobeying the stay-at-home order and opening up for play. This week, we saw them get fined, and then also players that were on the golf course, some of them 
as they left the property, they were getting fined as well. So, you thought $56 green fee was expensive. <laughs> yeah, I hope uh, I hope the round was worth it to them. Up to $10 million fines yeah. uh, bridges at Tilsonburg are facing, as well as some of the players' OPP, heavy OPP presence. I mean, at the end of the day, I get it. Fines have to be put in place. I mean, I'm on the Golf Canada side of things. We want to be open. It's frustrating. Um, but you kind of have to follow rules. I mean, it's it's play stupid games, win stupid prizes is was kind of the, the way I look at this. Um, st- really strange and weird that you have to have such a huge OPP presence at a golf course when you, l- you look across at the park and there's the parking lot's full. But that's we're not a politics show. We're here just hoping that uh, we can get back out on the golf courses. We can see everybody out there having fun. It's, uh, it's a difficult time for all. On some more positive notes coming out of the world of golf, a journeyman getting his moment in the spotlight, much like the journeyman that we're going to have a chance to talk to just in a few minutes. Our guest this week, David Byrne, who is a local journeyman. This week, it was Michael Visaki, a pro who qualified uh, for the Valspar Championship on a Monday qualifier. And there was this emotional moment after that was caught uh, by a couple members of the media. And they caught this uh, really cool moment where he got to phone his father. And it was that moment of, it was emotional. We got to call call his his dad and say that you know what i made it hey dad hey how are you all right <laughs> i made it <laughs> oh my god all right go to the lane thank you oh my god oh yeah you'll deserve it thank you I, I mean, I live with my parents, so they keep on supporting me. They've been helping me out since I was eight years old. I've never once thought about finding a part-time job. they given up everything for me. Um, they pushed me to be the best that I could. They, they sacrificed their dreams to give it for me to be able to play professional golf. Um, words can describe how much they've sacrificed for me. And they, they've always known that I've been able to do it. I don't know how that moment isn't emotional. It was seven years that Michael Visaki has been grinding out on Monday qualifiers to get his chance and opportunity just to get to the big leagues. And that there, I mean, the emotion's going to break through. You're out there grinding and Monday Q uh, on Twitter, if you don't follow them at Monday Q info, um, they're a fantastic uh, a Twitter account because they get to they share these experiences of all these journeymen because there's there's thousands of them trying to get their chance to get out there and play. And for to see him out there this week, unfortunately, he missed the cut. He was three over par through 36 holes, but he came out on fire. He almost holed out for Eagle in the first hole out of the bunker. Jamie, what are your thoughts about Michael Visaki this week? Yeah, really cool story. Um, like you mentioned, there's thousands of these guys out there. So it's great that I, I love that Michael got to his story got shared. I think a lot of us sometimes we forget about other guys' stories who are in similar um, situations. Uh, also, on the broadcast on CBS, they kind of highlighted him a little bit. And it's not just like this guy played well one time and got into the Valspar. The guy has 35 mini-tour victories. So obviously he can play, and uh, I think he's only going to grow from this and build off that momentum and get more starts in the future. It just goes to show you how many good players there are out on on the stage. And, and that, I'm going to just go back to last week's episode. And this is exactly why sponsors exemptions should go to, should go to uh, uh, the players who deserve them. But uh, 
we'll get into that off air. <laughs> but but it, it's it was just fantastic to see, and it just goes to show you the perseverance of some of these young tour players. That it's their dream to be out there. They're not going to give it up. And and just to hear some of the stories in the, in the, in the press conference afterwards, um, he, Michael Vasaki had so many people reach out to him this week, and the, and the one that kind of stood out to me when he was talking to the interviewer on PGA Tours, somebody reached out to him, and and they were ready to. Um, to, to end their life. And, uh, and they said, you know, based on the perseverance they saw through, through Michael, um, they, they, they saw life and wow. which is, which is deeper than just what golf is. And, and it just goes to show you what, what golf can bring to some people and, 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 and the moments it can share. Another, uh, storyline times, they are a changing as we know, we're constantly talking about it between our group here. And it's, it's a conversation that's way bigger than the pelt pod. It's on the forefront of golf. It's how do we get more people into this game? How do we provide opportunity? How do we attract uh, new people to the game? A storyline that's very relevant, Pine Valley Golf Club, consistently amongst some of the world's highest ranked golf clubs. It's very well known. It's at the forefront of the golf community. It's the number one golf course in America. They are allowing women members. Um, I don't I, I don't even know if there's an argument on, on the other side of this at this point in 2021. This is w- way overdue, but let's try to just shed a positive light on this move rather than <laughs> talking about how it should have happened perhaps long ago. Why is this a good thing and why is this helping in the overall conversation? Definitely, like you said, way overdue. I think it kind of goes to things you see in everyday life, everyday business. You see women CEOs, women presidents. It was only a matter of time here. They, they were just behind the times. Like I, I don't I don't have the right words for it because you you kind of like never expect this in 2021. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, again, if we want to grow the game, I mean, this is first and foremost steps and then we can kind of go from there. Pine Valley is a has a, such a huge effect on the on the golf world, um, not not just the golf course. So I'm hoping this does uh, you know more for the game of golf and allows others to follow suit. And, and I was talking to Jamie uh, a little bit earlier off air um, about Pine Valley and just to give us a little bit of a Canadian you know snippet about Pine Valley um, for you golf architect gurus out there, um, Pine Valley. Um, very old golf course, um, and we have one of the best architects, I believe, of all time, Stanley Thompson here, who's just done so many masterpieces from coast to coast here in Canada. And I was fortunate enough to read Ian Andrews' book. I purchased it about Stanley Thompson's five biggest commissions, and it just goes through the the date order of, of him visiting different golf courses and the effect that visiting certain places had on some of his designs. So if you've happened to have played Banff, uh, Springs. If you've happened to play Jasper Park, you'll see a lot of uh, a little bit of of Pine Valley there. Because when when he ended up visiting Pine Valley and he saw the rough edge bunkers with the fescue on it, that then implicated his future designs. And you'll start to see that at Banff, and you start to see that at Jasper Park. So really neat little tidbit uh, off to the side here. But going back to the fact, um, Pine Valley opening up the gates for women members is now going to go out to some of these other high-end country clubs that are only men allowed. So hoping that we, this can, they can spin golf in a positive uh, spotlight and grow the game. On today's episode of the Pelt Pod, today's guest, he's a professional golfer out of Essex, Ontario, Canada. They love him at University Detroit Mercy. He's a former reality TV star and the only man to ever win three consecutive GAO match play events. He's David Byrne and he joins us live. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. 
I really appreciate being a reality TV star. <laughs> <laughs> You've lived, uh, you're a man who's lived a couple different lives within this world of golf. And I think that's how we'll even start it off. There's, there's a lot of people out there that who know you and that are going to even learn about you here today that just are fascinated by the journey and the story. There are a lot of obstacles that started way back in the Essex, Ontario days that were in your path on your way to um, growing into a golfer and falling in love with this game. So even going back to the very beginning, how does David Byrne get connected to the game of golf? It's a fascinating story. Yeah, like I, uh, my mom's a professional figure skater and I was raised by a single mom. She was also a great athlete. So she kind of put me in everything. I did have an uncle who is a fantastic amateur player. And the junior, his name's Matt St. Louis, he, he won, he's won everything in our area. Um, I think he won the Ontario Junior or the Juvenile. Uh, he's been a good player forever. So I kind of looked, always looked up to him. And I would go to the golf course with him. And, you know, for those of you who do know me um, in real life, I stopped growing. Like, I didn't get the growing spurt. So <laughs> I had to make a decision between hockey and golf. And I was a pretty good skater. But I started falling in love with golf. Um, and I then, honestly, I, I didn't really make the decision to be full on golf till I was, like, 16. But kind of coming from a non-golf family, even though my uncle was a good player, everything was kind of so different. It was very uh, – it was very – it was just very tough to kind of hear about information or get information about events because everything that's not online at the time, it was a blue, yellow, or green pamphlet from the GAO that was at every golf course. You had to mail it in, right? Mm -hmm. So the, sometimes, like, it was just – it was kind of tough to do all that stuff. Um, but <clears throat> I just fell in love with golf. And then as I progressively got better, my mom put me in some events. And then I think the first event I did well at was the Ontario Bantams, and I was 12, and – I finished seventh with like, I, I didn't have a driver. I had a Pepsi two iron. <laughs> uh, I had a, I had an elite century on sandwich from my uncle from nine. I think that was from the 79 year. And like, I, it was a joke. Like, and I remember before the final round, my mom, like not having any money, putting it on her credit card and just getting me a steelhead Callaway steelhead plus driver. Mm. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, so I just, I fell in love with golf and I had some success at it. I would say, you know, like most people who know golf, it, it's not the, um, it's not a cheap sport. Mm -hmm. And uh, so <clears throat> single parent home, like I, I worked a good, a good bit of jobs growing up. I think at one point I had like four little mini jobs, you know, either refing hockey or working this clock or, um, wow. you know, doing some lawn guard, like some guard, like I'd worked for some lawn company for a minute um and my mom had a bunch of jobs as well and we just i don't know how she did it um but we somehow made it work and then i got a little better and um started winning some events here and there and then i just didn't know i couldn't really afford to go to school and luckily a, a golf scholarship kind of fell into place a little bit when i started getting a little bit better and playing well at ontario juniors and canadian juniors and things like that even going back to um the, you know, the 99 Bantam tournament, that was maybe a bit of a turning point. Was that maybe a, a moment early on that really shifted your thinking of going, well, well hang on a minute. I, I, there's something here. I got to double down on this. Or was that fire lit right from the get go? Oh, uh, no, I remember playing with Brad Ravel and Brad Ravel is one of the better amateurs to ever really come out of Ontario. We can mm -hmm. say, and, um, I remember I played with him and his parents followed and my mom followed, and they were always, even to this day, like, 
his parents are so nice. If, if I see him around, if I go to Kingston, you know, they're great. We still have this kind of connection or whatever. But um, Brad had all Titleist Drive or three-wood hybrid or, or five-wood, I think, mm-hmm. at the time. And then he had his wedges, and I, I think he had a Scotty at the time. And for me, like, only rich old guys who I played with at the odd time at Roseland, the public course, had Scotty Cameron's. And I was like, wow, that's crazy that this guy does. Um, so I didn't really know. I wouldn't say it flipped a switch then. I just think when when I started winning some events locally, and as weird as it sounds, probably looking back, like seeing my name in the paper and being like, you know, burn shoot sixty seven to win Point West Burger King event or whatever, mm-hmm. like I would that that for me gave me a good bit of gratitude or whatever, and I <clears throat> I didn't realize how much of an extrovert slash introvert I am. Like mm. I'm a talkative person, I'm outgoing, but when I'm on the golf course, like I have like people hate playing golf by themselves. I love it. I I can go out there and do my own thing for hours. It's great. It's my little getaway. When you played junior tournaments or even amateur events, living in, in Windsor, did you play any events in the States or a lot in Ontario? I played mostly in Ontario. There was a thing that I was going to like, I grew up in the era of AJJ was just kind of coming about okay. and it was like, wow, let's go to the States. But then it was... I remember it being something like 295 plus tax for the event, and that's American. And then yeah. you have to go for the four days. And my mom's like, and then she would have to miss work for those four days, and that's paying to put a roof over the head, our head. So it just didn't really make sense to go over states and travel all around, which I know some people did. Um, yeah. And then, so, so I just, I just wasn't able to do that. Uh, but I played, I always played the Ontario Junior, and I always played the Canadian Junior if I qualified. My mom always. I don't know how she did it, but she made sure that I, if, if I qualified, I would play. And every year I played the seven Burger King or the five Burger King events. And then I would miss one for the Ontario junior and one for the Canadian junior. And, and that was kind of how my summer was. I never played the Ontario junior match play. Mm. Um, I just, I mean, enough. Um, I just, David, it, what the, I did, yeah. those on, on t- Ontario amateurs, did you make sure that you had that on the schedule because you had a golf scholarship on the, on your mind already at that point, And you knew that those were such high valued tournaments for, uh, schools in the States to recruit players from here in Ontario. I, when I was growing up, when I was 15 or 16, I could not, I have a great memory, but I cannot tell you who told me, but a person told me those AJGAs and CJGAs are great. But a lot of coaches still look on and look at your provincial and um, your national amateur results. And for me, I think that I think I hung to that because it made me feel better, maybe about not being able to play some other events. But you know, it. I think that it was definitely once I kind of once I was about fifteen. I think uh, I think fifteen. I won my first Burger King event and I beat a bunch of eighteen-year-olds. And I was like, well, it's, maybe I'm pretty decent at this. <laughs> and um, and from, from then on, I was like, if I want to go to school, you know, and, and you know, you're supposed to go to school and get, get, your, get your degree and everything that puts you in a pandemic, I guess. But, As one does. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you go to school, you get your degree. And, and, but I was like, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to do this? And then, like, I remember hearing stories about people who got golf scholarships because I grew up, like, I started getting better. And I heard about Richard Scott, who went to Georgia and uh, Nate, like, Nate Comsa, who unfortunately passed away, but he went to Youngstown State. Um, Mike Ruckers went to Cleveland State. And I was thinking about all these guys, and I'm like, wow, like maybe I can go to a golf scholarship. So I always made sure to play in those events. And I think I, I kind of, I look, I never contended. Like I wasn't even close. But I was so good from like 8 to 18. 
And you know what? That gets you some credit, I guess. So that's that's what I did. Just kind of going back to the the recruitment process, just for younger people out there listening, like what was that like for you? Were you just firing off emails to every coach in the country or what was kind of the process for you? I have a bit of a different process as usually, I guess, with most stuff I do. But uh, my mom had a friend who was a graphic designer. And so what we did is... I made up a sign like I made up a signature. She put it onto a paper with my photos, and I ended up putting together a pamphlet, pretty much myself, of my events that I had, everything in chronological order, a, a thing saying like why I think I'd be good on the golf team, why I deserve it, blah blah blah. Now, I don't know if that had anyone contact me more. I did have three or four schools actually call me and say, "Look, David, our, our roster is full, and I, I don't know if you would meet necessarily the criteria, but I just did want to call you and tell you that." this package that you've sent us definitely stood out. It made a difference. It was really good. Like it was awesome. And, um, but I, <clears throat> my recruitment process was, uh, Mark Engel, the coach at Detroit Mercy at the time, walked to St. Thomas for the 2005 Ontario junior with me. And he honestly gave me the time where nobody else really did. Um, and I remember hitting a three wood from 245 down the hill on eight, eight at St. Thomas. If you guys play, if you guys know it, yep. but it hit shot and it was like a little cut shot, which at that time, I don't know what a cut meant. And it was a great shot. It went to about 15 feet for Eagle and I made the putt, I think, or maybe I know I think I two putted. And I remember him walking the line side me. And then after that, he talked to my mom and my mom was like, David, some coach talked to me about you. Like what the hell is going on? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> he says and, you're good, David. <laughs> you know, like, I was like, I don't know. And you know, he even said to this day, he's not the coach at Detroit anymore, but he even said, he's like, that's that three. Would you hit on the eighth hole at St. Thomas? You just, it, you, I could tell you weren't playing well and that changed it. And I noticed something and I was like, wow, that's crazy. Cause I felt the same thing on that shot, <clears throat> which is probably why I remember it so vividly. But, I had a few schools message me. Um, I went and visited Tiffin University, a D2 school that Brady Birkin went to, who won the Burger King tour. Uh, it was great. I, I think that <clears throat> I was so like awed by it. I, I was like, wow, this is great. I'd really like to come here. And he took that as a verbal. And so there's a bit of an issue that I was like, no, when I committed to Detroit, that I had not committed to Tiffin. But Detroit gave me, he, he cared enough to talk to me and my mom. And he gave me a pretty good deal that I couldn't really turn down. And what it came down for me, like, again, unfortunately, it was like, what school is going to say? Here's the most money. And luckily, I love my time at Detroit. And Detroit was the school that did that. So at the University of Detroit, David, what were some of your key highlights while you were playing there? Yeah, so when I went to Detroit Mercy, I would say that, like, when you guys were talking about maybe my coming out party or whatever, like, uh, or when I knew that I wanted to maybe do something more. My, I, I was, I never contended really at a lot of events. Honestly, I was Johnny top 10 guy. Um, yeah. But when I went to Detroit, you know, there was a guy there, Mark Sommerfeld, who was on the national team and I really looked up to him and I really kind of started, I think, practicing a little bit properly. And then all of a sudden my fourth event at college, I, I had my first top 20 the week before. And then the next event I shot 65, 70 and I shot the 18-hole scoring record, the 36-hole scoring record, and I won the tournament. And I was like, oh, what the shit? I just won a college event. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. wild. You know? And then I, I was like, okay. And then that year, the same year as a freshman, I won conference as a freshman. And so that year, I had a pretty good year at school. I started kind of finding my own, like maybe believing myself more. 
And then I came home and I remember I played like the Brantford Invitational because I got an email and then I won that. And then I went to this qualifier for the Ontario men's match play and I shot 78 at Green Hills in London. I hate this golf course, by the way. I had a qualifier there too. Tree in the fairway on 17. Just ridiculous. It, I just, I look, I don't, if I shot 61, I would tell you, I don't like this place. Okay. I just don't <laughs> like it. Anyway, I got in on the number and I went to the men's match play and then I ended up beating, I think five guys in the top 10 and I won the match play. And the, then this is the first time, the first, it, uh, the, yeah, that's the first, okay. the first one there. And then, and then sure enough, guess where the Ontario amateurs at the course I grew up on. I played, I have comfortably played now at this point in time, more than 4,000 rounds here. I mean, 5,000, I don't know. They're like I have, I have nobody's played this golf course more. Okay. What course like, is I, this? Sorry. Sutton Creek. Sutton Creek. Uh, okay. So we host the Ontario Lamb. Chris Ross goes out in a hurricane and shoots 64 the first round. Okay. And then he hangs on and wins. He beats me. I don't know actually by how much, but I finished second. And then I went to the Canadian Am and finished ninth. I lost to Mike Knight in a crazy playoff. He drained some eagle on two in Saskatoon. But um, and I was like, I, I mean, I finished top ten Canadian Am. I was. I was second at the at the Ontario Am. I won the men's match play. I had actually won the Ontario Champion of Champions that summer as well before the match play. And I was like, I was starting to like play some good golf. Um, and like I was winning like proper events. Uh, and then the next year I seemed to not win any tournaments at school. I was like, finished a lot of fifths and sixths, I think. Like just like top 10 sort of thing. Yeah. But like could posting good numbers. And then... I came back to Lake to Lake Joe for the Ontario men's match play in 08. Not really playing well. I was like, oh, I was hitting terrible. Anyway, I went there and I won. I just, I, 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 I played well and I won. And then I forget. I think I, I always, I think I always made it to the Canadians every year. And the one year I was on the Wellington Cup team, I guess 07 that would have been. Um, but then the like I didn't really ever win anything. The third year at school, I was kind of. I think I won one event in school. Uh, our home event um and that was great but i didn't other than that like i played okay you know like solid golf and then i won the match ontario men's match play again um for the third time and like then i was like like now i'm like please somebody can find me a match play event everywhere yeah. <laughs> like right um and then i went to school my senior year and i had a pretty good senior year. I finished second third second third in the four events and then my coach uh luke lafave brent's best buddy um mm-hmm. he was like have you thought about going pro and i was like honestly not yes but like i don't have that money you know and he's like give me can you give me like a year with your golf swing because we had gone to michigan state that year we played at the kingsley club in michigan which is unreal and i shot i think my first rounds i think i was 66 66 or 66 68 and i had hit maybe 10 or 11 greens wow. and my coach was like good uh good scores <laughs> what is that mean? like he's like dave i i've never seen anyone hit the golf ball that bad like like really like you're in a college event like you were hitting it all over the place under lips of bunkers you were just scrambling getting around he's like give me a year with your golf swing and think about maybe turning pro and i was like well we'll see and so my rest of my senior year i didn't really play very well um but i had a golf coach i had never had a lesson in my life before they were too expensive so um i never ever could afford that so uh, I had a golf coach, which was cool. He definitely gave me a discount, like a 100% one. Um, <laughs> so, which was, which was nice. He's, he's, uh, he's like, he really is kind of obviously probably set my life for how, what he did with my golf swing. But, um, 
you know, uh, started working with him. And then the big break thing, kind of the opportunity kind of came on online. And then I kind of jumped at that. Looking back all the way up to kind of your story, all the way up, let's say, to college, could you recount the core group that really were difference makers for you? Um, my mom. I would say my Uncle Matt, because I always felt like he acted so proper on the golf course, and it, mm. it, and I played with older people because of him, mm. and I felt like that made me kind of grow up, and I understood the game maybe, maybe a little bit differently. Um, so I would say my Uncle Matt, even my like stepdad, Rick, he got me a membership at Fox Glen. There's, like, I've been very fortunate because I've had so many people help me. Mm. Um, at various at different points in my life, um, but kind of when I was younger, my I the reality is is like I didn't have a golf coach, I didn't have a lesson. My mom did it. David, fun little segment that we do here on the Pelt Pod, rapid fire. Uh, so here we go, lowest competitive round. Competitive round sixty one. Favorite golf course in Canada. Sutton Creek or Roseland or those are like that's my home, you know. Yep. Favorite golf course outside Canada. I love Bel Air and I love LACC. Your dream foursome. Tiger Woods. Max Homa and Eddie Pepperell. Any golf superstitions? <laughs> Scotty Cameron gave me a divot tool, and I've never played a golf around a golf without it since. Who's your favorite golfer? Tiger Woods. That's the only answer, right? Halfway right. house order. Mm, a couple of sandbaggers and maybe some Caesars. And I, I'm, a, I'm a hot dog guy. I like hot dogs. Are you walking or riding when you play golf? Walk. Favorite club in the bag? 60 degree wedge. Are you trunk slamming or more of a range rat? Depending on the week, to be honest with you. So you make it through college, you've got a name in the world of golf, and all of the sudden you find yourself at the heart of a pretty big show at the time. Jamie it was just uh, saying before you came on the air tonight that he used to be at high school like thinking during the day, like, the big break's on tonight. This is a big deal. So you end up on Golf Channel's big break. Talk a little bit about how that even came about and how you landed right uh, this time in front of the camera again. Um, yeah, so I was actually back at Detroit Mercy for a hollow, no, for a, a for, we only had one good party at Detroit. Uh, I was back at that party after I had graduated. I was dating a girl who was a senior on the tennis team, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's getting ready. I'm looking at Hooters tour scores, uh, and it says big break, apply to be on big break. Uh, I've looked for this for years, okay? I was a big break fan. I I believe the first air date might have been October 6, 2003. You can, I don't know. I, I was, I was the biggest fan. Okay. So I always was like, it'd be cool to go on that show. And I would run home after work. I was, I was like 11, I think I was 11 or 12 and I'd run home after work and be like, mom, I want to be on that show one day. So I saw this link to click on it. And then it was like, uh, you know, what's your best golfing accomplishment? Just like, you just a questionnaire. Like, where'd you go to school? What's your best golfing accomplishment? Your lowest round? Who's your role model and why? Why do you deserve your big break? And so, like, those last two questions are pretty heavy. So I was flipping through it, and then I was like, uh, you know what, never mind. And <clears throat> I was about to shut this thing down. Everyone's like, we're going to be here for another hour. You might as well finish it. So I, in the middle of this party, essentially, or pre-party, <laughs> I wrote this application. And I'm not usually ever short for words. So it wasn't, like, quick. And I submitted it. And then I got a call saying, like, hey, a couple of days later, saying, do you want to come down to Orlando for an audition? I was like, yeah, cool. So... <laughs> I drove, I drove down from here. I was like, I think it was like, at that time it was like 16 and a half hours it took me. I just did it straight. And so I show up to this uh, interview at Shingle Creek in Orlando and I go fill my paper. The guy's like, okay, just say your name. I'm like, I'm David Byrne. He's like, okay, like, 
hit some, you know, you're loose. And I said, yeah, he goes, okay, hit some seven iron. So I hit two of them. And the third one I hit, it like kind of took a crazy kick, right. But I could tell like it went in the hole. So <laughs> it, then I, as it bounced, right. There was a split second in my mind that says, this is your time. You have to do something. And I turned around and said, is that any good? Or <laughs> and so just playing up the camera. That, yeah. And so then after that, I had a couple drivers and usually generally I was the driver pretty well. And then I kind of went back in front of the camera and told my story again. And, uh, you know, I, I actually still have the guy on Facebook. I talked to him the odd time here and there who interviewed me. Um, and I remember getting up and he turned off the camera. And he's like, I don't know, but I, I think you have a good show, good, a good chance. He said, and I was like, okay. Um, I came back home, hung out of Detroit for a little bit, uh, got a call saying, Hey, are you ready to be on the big break? And I said, yes, absolutely. He said, okay, we'll let you know. Click. And I'm like, ah, you're an asshole. And then, <laughs> and then two weeks later, I got a call saying that I was, I was selected to be on it and I was going to leave January 3rd, whatever. And, uh, they'll get back to me later. And I was like, that was my favorite TV show growing up. So <clears throat> I was like ecstatic, like just to have a big break bag. I just wanted to have like, I wanted to break a mirror, a glass. I want to break a glass. <laughs> oh, they're going to ask about that. We're going to ask about the <laughs> yeah. glass challenge. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. So I, I just, I just did fact check you, uh, October 6, 2003. That was the debut of the big break reality television program. Um, but David at that stage in your career, age 23, how big of an opportunity was it a, uh, to be able to just compete out there on the big break? What did that do for you? You know what? I think that, um, at the time, I think that, I thought more would come of it. And I don't mean that poorly. I just think that like, I want a TV show. People are going to be calling me. Yeah. But like at, in golf, you have to earn your way. Right. So like, cool. Like I got this, I got a PG tour exemption that, that, that I won. But like, I, I think for me mentally at the time, it, it, it helped me because I always felt like I kind of struggled with believing that I belong there. Mm-hmm. So I think that really helped me. But I think honestly, like looking back, it, what it helped me do more is, <laughs> I don't even care when we're on the range in Orlando, when you're on a range in Orlando, there is 20 to 75 mini tour guys there. Okay. There's a lot of people that are really good at golf and I'll say it. A lot of mini tour guys are douchebags. Okay. Like mm-hmm. they're driving a BMW around and like, I'm sorry, like that's great that you can do that. But like part of playing golf, like you got to like, it's the struggle. And like, do you know where your tracks go? You know what I mean? And like it, it, it just, I didn't want to, with me winning big break, I got to meet people like Christina Kim, who was a great friend and Sandra Gall, who was a really good friend of mine and Jennifer song. I played a bunch of golf. Like I, I went out to dinners with Michelle Wee and like a lot of that LPJ hub is in Orlando there. And I, I got to meet these people and I don't know if I would have had the opportunity because it just saying like, I won the big break. I just, I felt like it was, it gave me an opportunity to not be like another mini tour guy. It was just like, yeah, I'm from Ontario or I'm from Canada. I come home. I think I'm good. It just, it, for me, it, I think it just was like, it got me into a couple circles that, Maybe otherwise, I don't think it, it would have, like, just moving down, it would have got me into. And I think I got to, like, I was able to, like, learn a lot from those people. Yeah, so it was probably more, not necessarily the opportunities that came with winning the big break, but more kind of, I don't yeah, know, the like, circles, the friendships, that kind of stuff first year that, you, that you formed. Show. Yeah, like, the first year I went to the PGA show, like, I had never been there. And I was at first curious as to why everyone's wearing beige pants and a blue jacket. <laughs> and now that's what happens if you're in the PGA system or whatever. But anyway, um, I, I, it was just very, 
I, I was just shocked. Like people were coming like, Hey man, I was like, I was rooting for you or, uh, congrats, man. Or, yo, I, I watched for Drake. You were my favorite that season. Or like, uh, I would, I would say like, well, Shank was my favorite cause he's great. But like, <laughs> uh, you know, but it was very, it was very wild. Like I felt like I, I did a thing on the golf channel. Like I did an interview on the golf channel for morning drive and, I watch morning drive every, every day. Like it was very, like, it just, I don't know. It just allowed me to do things and I got to meet a few people. I think that if I had just been a decent golfer, I don't think I would have been able to meet. Yeah. That's really cool. Because, um, my next one is how long did the entire season take to record? It was 14 days. And each episode that you see on TV is one day of filming. Okay. So that's, they, they kind of, most people say, wow, they really drag it out. But um, we get there, we land on the one day, we kind of get situated. They give us a rundown. The next day we wake up and you hit your first shot. You wait around forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you hit your next yeah, shot. Yeah, David, you David yeah. I just want to hop on that there. You, you wait forever to, to hit a shot. You, obviously, you warm up in the morning, but what's the time difference between a lot of the shots? Do you feel like your game got cold, that you were unprepared for some of the, the shots or, or challenges? Well, the good thing about being uncomfortable that like 70 million people are watching you on TV is that you stay pretty warm. Um, uh, The thing was, was like, okay, so the first day I was on the show, if you go watch back and watch the show, we walk up and we put this thing on there. It looks badass. And they (laughs) pause the camera. Okay. Those were 12 shots. And I think they went through those 12 shots in, I want to say 21 minutes or something weird like that. Okay. Now, the last shot I hit on the range was at 7.15 a.m. The shot that I hit, which I think I was actually the last guy to hit, uh, that was at 12.45 or 1. That is like, crazy. And, wow. And so you get up there, and, like, I mean, I had a 110-yard wedge shot. I was like, I'm just going to hood my 56 and call it a day. <laughs> and, and so I get up and there. And take a beaver you, pelt, right? Yeah, you're just not worried just about that. Just get it that. on the surface, right? And so, like, I, uh, I get up there, and I hood it up there. and uh, But, like, you haven't hit a shot. You're also feeling nerves that very honestly, you, you, you probably really won't, really won't feel again because if I tug this in the water, I'm off the show. This whole experience was a waste. I'm a loser. <laughs> so like, you know, so like it, you just have all these thoughts going through your mind that you just, I mean, I played college golf and I was a decent amateur. Like I'm on TV now and I'm get people like the whole cut, co- like, yeah, you have all these I, things running through your mind too. You, you got know, the nation I'm, on your back. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm just sitting here and I'm just like, huh, is my right toe numb or am I just like nervous? Like, <laughs> and that's not really focusing on golf much, right? And it's a pretty easy shot, but it's, it's, it's nerve wracking. So there is, there is a good bit of time uh, in between the shots. Like obviously the less people on the show, you don't need a lot of time, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, just kind of branching off that too. Uh, like I, I saw a, a video on YouTube and it was like a watch party of you with like a bunch of people. Um, <laughs> like w- what is the... Like, are you sworn to secrecy from like, okay. being the until like the actual episode is aired on the Golf Channel? So we have a one million dollar liability and a potential, I think, one or two years in jail, like some sort of crazy contract that we wow. have to sign. So, so you can't say anything. Now, I was living in Florida. I had moved to Florida, and I had missed voicemail from my mom at three oh seven a.m. Like David, I'm I'm walking in Essex right now. David, you won this thing. David, I cannot believe it. Wow. Oh my God. David, you won. You won. Wow. And I'm like, and I wake up at like 6 a.m. to go to the gym or something, and I'm like, press voicemail. I'm like, 
oh, this woman's lost it. So <laughs> I, I, uh, I was like, no, mom, you don't know that. She's like, David, I don't care. I know. So I'm like, well, I'm going to come home no matter what to watch the final episode with everyone, blah, blah, blah. So I get home and she's like, okay, David, so we're going to have it at the Legion. And I'm like, we're having what at the Legion? She's like, I invited some people. She invited the town. <laughs> I saw them. Yeah, there was like, there was hundreds of people in there. No, there, she, the town was there. Like there yeah. might've been a guy walking in off the street. He was getting chicken wings that night. <laughs> like, I don't know what was happening. And then like, obviously I ended up winning and it was great. Like looking back at it, like every time I watch the video, I'm still like, get choked up about it. But yeah. um, it was like, I remember my mom being like, I remember telling her like, mom, you you don't know that I won. Like if you, you, if you say like you can't tell people because you don't even know and she's like this is a party for me <laughs> okay you know in, in a way though it, it is a party for that for the two of you right and then yeah and what you 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 know you both work towards to to get to that moment so uh, how did the did how did the beans spill to her or did she just subconsciously know that you went out there and and won the big break she didn't the beans didn't spill um she didn't know she just she was making stuff up in her head now now, as I did come closer to home and the episodes did get tighter and I was near the end, the first thing I heard when I crossed the border into Canada was a nudge and saying, hey, bro, how that cash sick? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, see, one, I, I heard you got trouble at the border there. And I was like, no, but what? He's like, yeah, and your new Escalade that you paid for in cash and you had like cash in this passenger seat. I'm like, what? I <laughs> I drive a beater. What are you talking about? Like, are you watching TMZ like, again? <laughs> like, like I was like, what the heck is going on? So it was, I was hearing these things and I was like, what are you, what? And I really honestly, uh, I'm a pretty honest person. So I have a tough time keeping these from people. But when I started hearing these things, I was like, screw this. This is going to be hilarious. So I see people at the golf course like, hey, here's you on. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I won 70, and they gave me another 70 because I won a fan favorite, eh? <laughs> and they're just like, no way. I'm like, start the rumor. Who cares? Like, like I was hearing stuff that was so egregious. I was just like, screw it. And I kind of – I ended up having fun with it, which was probably the best thing to do. But my mom didn't know, um, and she just decided to, to play on this. But <clears throat> her and I are pretty close, so I think that she wanted it probably so bad or she felt that I had won. Uh, my coach picked me up from the airport when I landed. And he was like, Hey bud, how was, uh, how was the time? You know? And I go, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. Great guys. Great guys. Great. I had a great time. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It was no good. Yeah. It was, yeah. I had a, yeah. It was good experience. Yeah. He's like, well, I won't tell anyone you won. Okay. Like, <laughs> I was you like, did, no, you didn't like, hide he, it very well. <laughs> like, and then that's kind of like seeing him. And he, he was like, even now he's like, Dave, I picked you up. And before you even looked at me, I was like, Holy God, this guy won the show. I was like, what? And I was, it was probably good that he kind of put me in my place a bit because I would have, I like, I, from then I kind of was like, all right, I gotta, like, nothing has happened in my life, even though like, I gotta I, develop a character here. <laughs> and you know what? It was fun, man. I had a great time with it. What was your favorite challenge on the big break? Like, was it the glass break? Was there something else that maybe didn't uh, get the hype or, you yeah. know what? If, if there was a cool one now, I am trash at cards and gambling. So, you know, we had a game where you had to play like it was blackjack or twenty-one. It was the same thing, whatever. So you had to you had to hit a nut, you had to hit to the number, which is with your wedges. I'm good at my wedges, blah blah blah. And I thought it was a really good game because you didn't get to see what your partner got to do, but you had to kind of say, okay, I got I got eighteen, I'm sticking. And I went against Carl, who was like a genius, and he mind screwed me and whatever. But I thought that was a really good game that I had not seen before. Now 
look, I put two balls through the glass. That is a bucket list, okay? Like, like the that, best feeling in the world kind of thing? Like, oh, the first time, the first two times, too, I missed, I was so close to. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get it. And the third time I did it, and I got it, like, back to back. Oh, wow. That was, <laughs> that, that really, like, that was, like, you know what? I, I want to win this thing, but, like, I'm, I'm glad I got to do that. Uh, do you think the show will ever make a comeback or do you think guys are just kind of out there grinding for Monday qualifiers at this point? I don't think that guys, I don't think that I, I, I wish the show would make a comeback. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. Everyone who has worked on that show has been, um, removed from the golf channel because right. they, this right. So office from Orlando up to Connecticut. So a lot of those people were freelance people who kind of put on the show and that was their thing. Um, which is too bad. Honestly, I got to know a lot of them. And they're just, they're fantastic people, you know, and the big break thing that I talked to Sarah, no H Brown the other day, because my girlfriend knows something about jewelry and she was asking me a question online. And you just, I just, we all kind of know each other. I, I, everyone kind of, it seems like online, I see the PGA memes and different people putting up, like bring it back or whatever. I always comment like, please, um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't think so. I think that the allotment for money has gone in a different direction for that. And mm-hmm. I think they tried to do something with that uh, show with all the little Instagram kind of girl celebs at the time, I guess, the mm-hmm. girl golf celebs, what I forget what the show was called, uh, but with the top golf thing. Yeah. And it just didn't seem to really take off, I guess, the same way. Yeah. Um, PGA Tour has got $40 million extra dollars here. Maybe maybe it'll we can suggest it have a have a comeback. <laughs> that would be phenomenal, right? I, I mean, the thing is, too, is like, you know, it's, it's, it's something good to know, like, uh, at the Valis part this week, that big Mike guy, okay, he gets through yep. and it, I'm really happy that his story went viral. And a lot of guys who even, who I know who play golf, like, wow, man, that's crazy. And I was like, do you guys understand that that happens literally every single week? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I'm great that it went viral, but like, yeah. there is so many people and people's parents that have literally people in your own backyard too. Like, and you don't even like, know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, there's, you know, and like there, that, that there's, there's people out there that, that like like this guy making it like when i won the big break like it was just it was felt like validation right and so this guy gets up there and he's crying he's calling his dad like everything that he said i was like like okay yeah like i get it Mm -hmm. you know and it's there's so many stories like that in golf and big break did a great job of exposing that like i'll be the first to admit my season you see the contestants were a little bit weaker Everyone can say to that, I'm an honest person. That's a fair thing to say. Mm. Okay, but we had a guy who was from Jamaica who would run on his lunch. We had a black dude who was playing, Will, Will Lowry, who has his Beyond the Fairy podcast. He's playing cross-handed with dreads. Like, <laughs> like completely, like, like, um, like in in Charlotte. Like, but he's done stuff for the first team. We got Robert Floyd, who grew up, like, under Raymond Floyd, obviously. That's his yeah. son. We got Shank. Like, all these different stories. And I think that's, like, people love Big Break, but people really connected to the people's stories right and that's mm-hmm. that's what the show was and 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 it was the golf was getting better especially kind of after my season um it was inclining quickly but i uh, i just i don't know i don't think that it's we're unfortunately going to not see that again i don't think so from essex to across the the river to um, detroit mercy to orlando where you win the big break and then you go west you end up in Hollywood, and you have a chapter in California, and some arguably some of the coolest tidbits in your golf journey maybe came out of that chapter. So, how do you go from uh, winning the big break to all of a sudden picking up and going across the country and starting a new chapter out there? I uh, I was yeah I was in Orlando, and uh, the girl I was seeing at the time wanted to go west for work, and I said, you know what, sure, like I can golf anywhere in the world, right? Mm-hmm. 
So we go out there and obviously things are a little bit pricier, but things it's, it's just a different way of life. And um, I needed to find some money and whatnot. And I, uh, I'd won a pro-am in the Hamptons that my buddy Hoyt, who now owns all of True Spec Golf and Mira Golf and 8 a.m. Golf and whatever, he got me into this, this pro-am. And he was like, hey, where do you have to be on like the 10th and 11th? I was like, I have to be in Vegas. My coach has a program that I help run and play in or whatever. He's like, hey, you're going to come to the Hamptons. I'm like, uh, I can't. And he's like, you're coming. Like, you're, you're already in. Like, you're, you have to come. I went there and I won. And uh, I played with uh, Nicki Minaj and Pitbull's 70-year-old, like, team manager or something. <laughs> anyway. But, Okay, it was wild. The guy was a beauty. He was a great dude. I went out there and I won, and then I had to drive back through the night to get to Detroit Airport at 6 a.m. to fly out to Vegas. And anyway, when I was out there and I won this event, I met a guy named Mossimo. And I was like, oh, like the Target brand Mossimo? And he's like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, good memory. Great. Anyway, I go to L.A., and I'm standing there with my white jumpsuit on looking for a bag. And he's like, kid, what are you doing out here? And I was like, got in. He's like, do you want to carry my bag? I'm like, I would love to. So I got to, I caddy for him. And uh, I know that he's been in the news a little bit with the whole college missions thing, but he was, he, I can say he's one of the people now uh, that probably saved my life when I was out there. And um, he, you know, there was days where it was me, him, and it was me, him, Marty Fish. Uh, and he had his, his usual buddies that he played with, but some days like it'd be like Steph Curry and Iguodala or, Gretzky and Bobby Orr and those guys were walking around and I'm just like, yo, like this is one. <laughs> the great one. Like, and yeah, so, so I always like to tell this story because it's honestly a great story. So uh, I'm counting for Moss and Gretzky's there and on the 11th hole at Bel Air's downhill dog leg left front of the green is like wildly sloped. Okay. So pins kind of on the front. He's got like a three footer. It's not two footer. It's outside the hole. Like it's it's just it's a tricky little putt. So it goes, Gretz goes. Hey Moss, this uh it's good. And they're they're playing for a good bit. And uh Moss goes, I've seen you putt, you kidding me? And he goes, Oh, they didn't have a TV where you grow up, eh, Moss? And he goes, What are you talking what are you talking about? He goes, They call me the great one for a reason, bud. Let's go. Picks up the ball, walks to the next tee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's one of those things you'll just never forget as long as you live. The same I think the same day when he was he was with us, I actually hit like a five a persimmon five wood onto the green on twelve at Bel Air from like two twenty five. And the guys went nuts. I think they all ended up giving me like I don't know, fifty bucks or something. Something crazy. But like <laughs> hustling. They, they, yeah, it was it, when I got to I got to caddy out at, at Bel Air Country Club for a little bit and uh, I got to meet some great people, some people I never thought I would get to meet. And um, I can honestly say, like, you know, people are always talking to me about, like, golf's so fun. Golf's not fun, okay? It's, 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 I love it, but it's not fun. And in, until then, when I was out at, out at Bel Air, these guys were doing big deals and, like, like big, big deals. Mm. And uh, actually, as a matter of fact, I just watched something at my mom's house the other day on this thing that's selling for, like, insane amounts because there's like a pool and like a 22 car car garage and i'm like oh yeah on the top of the bel air it's on top of the 14 t-box and like that's you know people were always around there talking about that the people guys were going to go in and buy it and i'm like yeah i know exactly where that is it just it i it was coming from it again like a single parent not not the wealthiest background i would say uh to being in the bel air like hollywood lifestyle or caddying for uh luke wilson or like just, I was just like, it was wild. Like one day I was caddy, one day I caddy for Steph Curry, and then that night I went to Jimmy Fox's like little 
after party for his music video. And I was like, wow, I'm from Essex. <laughs> <laughs> the local kid from Essex, Canada. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like when I, and, you know, unfortunately I kind of had to come home for, for my own sake, but, um, I'm, you know, now I'm, I'm kind of, I'm back here in, in Windsor now and I'm kind of finally after about four years kind of on my own two feet and got, got my life back a little bit, which is good. You're back. And even this is an exciting time too, because it, it does feel like it has the, its own elements of its own chapter. The one question I have, and again, the journey has just been so cool. What do you love about the game now? Where's your relationship at with the game of golf today? Uh, I love golf. Golf is my heartbeat. If like, I think that, you know, like I, I, I personally went through a bit of a, a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a while there, I, I just, I wasn't unfortunately playing a little bit of golf and I got back playing when I kind of not got back playing. I always played, but more so when I got back to Windsor, uh, or in Essex with my parents, house, my mom's house and my stepdad's house. Um, and I started like hitting it well. I started kind of honestly understanding the golf swing more and I, <clears throat> with I felt like what I had kind of gone through personally, I did it more so like a lot of it on my own, my own time. Um, and <clears throat> going to the golf course and kind of after overcoming that, um, it it became a very good stress relief. Like I, when I go to tournaments now, I I'm grinding. Like when I'm my I'm grinding and I play my golf. But after I'm not going to starve myself. Like I'm going to go enjoy a city that I'm in because it's a great experience. So. Um, I think that I appreciate the game in, in its entirety a little bit more, mm. um, but I, uh, I I've always like loved it, loved it. Uh, we don't want to keep you too much longer, but uh, where can we like? Are you are you playing? What events are you playing now? Like, do you have um, a schedule I'm, set out for this summer? I'm playing. Uh, well, I'm hopefully hopefully playing the Toronto Players Tour and the East Coast Pro Tour. Great. Mm. I'm going to try to do that. I, I kind of made a, like a list of goals. Like obviously this is very COVID depending. Mm-hmm. Um, but I made uh, like, I, like I want to kind of, <clears throat> I never really wrote down goals. So I was like, I want to win the East coast pro tour. I want to cash a check in every TPT event. I really strongly feel like my game suits the European tour really, really well. And I really like the opportunity to go do the European tour Q school. Um, and that's kind of what I'm, I want to try to work towards. David, yeah, exactly. well, we're, we're big fans of you here, obviously, mm-hmm. and we're cheering from you here in, in southwestern Ontario, and like everybody else here in Ontario, cheering for you and 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 battling through through this, you know, the the, the grind of of professional golf, and and we we hope to see you to conquer some of those goals that you have written down, and it would be absolutely delightful to see you battling out there on the European tour. Um, so we wish you the best of luck here moving forward uh, this year, and hopefully we uh, here in Ontario we get to pick up the sticks and get a, get a go get out and play some oh. golf here shortly because uh, I'm yeah. sure you're 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 stir crazy. It's guys, it's not good. Yeah, it, I'm running. I'm getting up early. I'm like, it's. I mean, I've actually spent a lot of time working on myself, which is actually in a way good. But cool. like, I need to play some golf. Like I, mm-hmm. yeah. Like today, I went for a run, to like for for fun. Like I'm sorry to hear that. That's your new yeah, hobby. Thank you very much. David Byrne, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us for week four. Uh, it, it's awesome to hear about your story and some of the things that are still going on. So I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. And uh, I know we'll all be be cheering you on. Yeah, absolutely, David. We're going to be cheering cheering your story on here. We'll be following you on the ECPT tour and uh, and Toronto Players tour this year. And and hope that you're you're able to achieve those, those goals that you've got written, written down and shared with us. Thanks, yeah, David. Yeah, if we can 
can do anything to help you down the road, then let us know and Thanks, we can go from there. Thanks, yeah. guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Week four, damned if you do, damned if you don't. We're going to dive into the PGA making a special exemption for Ricky Fowler to get in the field. Jamie, where do you stand on that? Yeah, so I don't want to feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here because last week I said that the PGA Tour or the Corn Ferry Tour should have free reign to give sponsors exemptions to whoever they want. But I don't think Ricky should be in this field. This is a major championship. Um the reality is you play your way into major championships based on your performance. Um, the other sponsor's exemption or special exemption they gave into this tournament was to another Amer- another American, John Catlin. I think he's, he's, I mean, he has won on the European tour three times. So I think that's the kind of exemption that des- deserves to get into the PGA championship, not Ricky Fowler. And just a little tidbit there, Jamie, you happened to caddy in John Catlin's group at uh, on the McKenzie Tour. I did, yeah. It was probably five or six years ago now. At the time, I thought, you know, John, he seems like a decent player. I, nothing really wowed me kind of about his game. But obviously, when you when you go to Europe and you play those, those tournaments, uh, different conditions, obviously, he's kind of found his home over there. And uh, I think he deserves the shot. And, and I think, you know what, you, you, six years ago, you're caddying out there, you see his game, and it may have not been impressive then, but it just goes to show you that it takes some time time out there to get to that next level, to get comfortable out there. And so you, you see him six years ago, yeah, you, you, they can play, they all can play out there, but now to see him come through six years later on the next stage, the European Tour, which is a totally different route than, than staying here in North America, but it just goes to show you that it takes time to get comfortable, it takes time to... To, on those different tour stops, where are you get your laundry done, where are you going to eat, all those little small things. So, yep. So, what, what, what's your guys' take on the uh, Ricky Fowler situation? Personally, I, I kind of, I got to go with what I said last week. I'm not a huge fan of sponsors' exemptions to, to people who don't really deserve the spot. So, um, I'm not a huge fan of the sponsor exemption. In uh, I think you you need to play your way into major championships. It's just like Augusta. Yeah, top 12, get into into the, the next year's uh, Masters. And then you got to find your other avenue to get in there. You got to win a tournament. You have to have a certain world golf ranking. Right now, Ricky does not have that. So it is the PGA of America's event. So you see them give two Americans, you know, a sponsor's exemption in. Do we see that at the Open Championship where they give it to, to local people there? I don't, know. I, I don't know. I don't know. So it's, I'm not a huge fan of it personally. Uh, I think he he's in that you know he's in that drought. We saw Jordan in that drought, and Jordan got through that. He played his way through it, and we haven't seen that from Ricky. Ricky's a poster boy for the tour, um, and you know what? Tough luck. I'm a huge Ricky guy, but to play off my answer from last week when we talked about uh, PGA Tour exemptions. I'd rather see the Michael Viseckis of the world uh, get their opportunity to shine. Bish, I'm with you. You've got to play your way into a major championship. I think there has to be um, a space for if there's an individual that's going to bring a ton of eyeballs to your event, absolutely, that's got to be explored. And so that's why in Ricky's case, you could never argue it. He's going to get an opportunity to play in the tournament. He's going to bring a ton of eyeballs. It's going to be good for the game of golf. But at a principle, no, I'd like to see... You you earn your way and play your way in fair and square. At the end of the day, I get it. It's it's the PJ of America's event. 
They're good. They want their guy. I mean, he's in every commercial. Uh, if you take a look at Nick Faldo's tweet from, from a, what was that? Right before the masters, right before the masters is good news. Uh, he, uh, he misses the masters and that he, it's okay that, uh, he'll in that time, he's going to do six, six commercials. <laughs> so it's, it, the guy's all over everywhere. He's, he's, he's in every commercial, but for some, some reason we haven't seen him at the top of the leaderboards. So he's a little MIA. Uh, we, we wish him all the best. There's no hard feelings towards him, but I just, I just don't think he deserves a spot. Benjamin Whiteside takes his third consecutive vic- victory here on the Insiders again this week. His pick of Victor Hovland comes T3 this week. Jamie, what are the results for the Valspar this week for the Insiders? As you mentioned, Ben, Victor Hovland, T3. And he also had Russell Knox as his sleeper, T21. That's a good showing from a sleeper. Jacob, you had from your sleeper, Adam Shank, T18. Actually, low sleeper. <laughs> And Corey Connors, T21. Myself, I had Paul Casey, also T21. So that's five picks from your Pelt Pod insiders inside the top 25. And I also had Doug Gim, who MC hammered. Looking into this week, the Wells Fargo Championship. And this is a big week. This is really where the picks start to uh, get some mileage in between them. So Jamie's either getting on his horse and coming back, or we're putting some mileage in between uh, us and Jamie in the rear view here. I got Shane Lowry as my main guy, and my sleeper will go to a Canadian who I followed at the 2019 Detroit Rocket Rocket Mortgage Classic. I'm a fan for life. He's Roger Sloan. I have to go with somebody who played fantastic this week. He said he would have won the golf tournament if he could have, you know, putted a little bit better. And I believe this guy works. He's one of the hardest workers out there. I'm going with Justin Thomas as my pick. And does it count for a sleeper? I got to take the Canadian. I got to take the home po- hometown boy from Dundas, Ontario. I've got to take Mackenzie Hughes. Borderline sleeper. Yeah, PGA Tour winners or sleepers? <laughs> We're going to have to. Um, so since this pick got stolen from me last week, I'm hopping on this week. Corey Connors. Uh, I think this is a good spot for him at Quail Hollow where the President's Cup is next year. So if he plays well, that's going to put him on the radar for sure. Uh, sleeper, I'm going with Maverick McNeely. He's been playing too well. Um, maybe not to win, but definitely look for him inside the top 20. That caps it. Week four, it is a wrap for the Pelt Pod. Huge thanks to David Byrne. And hopefully, as we creep into May, coming on the air next week, we're going to have some better news when it comes to the lockdown. That's the hope. So thanks, boys, for this week. Hope everyone listening has an amazing week. We'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Pelt Pod. If you like what you heard, feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pelt Pod and email us. We'd love to hear from you. We'll see you next week for episode five.